Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of FF Plus. I'm your host, Aaron White, and in this series, we have been recapping and reviewing films from the Sundance Film Festival. For this episode, I'm joined by a returning guest, Alex Billington from First Showing. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. I'm I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's actually almost exactly a year since you were on the last time. Uh, we really? Were talking I about, wow, okay. Yeah, mountain movies and Arctic stuff, uh, something that we both love, which is yeah. kind of coincidental, considering one of the films that we're going to talk about today and the fact that we met in Park City in the middle of a bunch of mountains. <laughs> yeah, that was really nice, actually, um, to finally meet you in person and to, to have a moment to catch up with you. And also, I mean, I want to talk to you during this podcast about your Sundance experience, because that's something that intrigued me, is that you were there and I, we could we could actually have that moment of uh, interaction. But also, I just want to know what you what you felt like being there. Well, we'll go. We'll go there. Uh, no one else has asked me that, so I appreciate that. It's funny because I'm usually the one asking everybody else, like, how was your Sundance? You're the first person to ask how mine was. You know, it was awesome. I think okay. the general vibe of Park City is just incredible. It's There's something majestic about the whole situation when you're just surrounded by these giant peaks covered in snow, which I love being around anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> I think for me, it was really made special because there are there was nobody there that was not a lover of film. And so in my yeah. everyday life, maybe I talk to people like my friends and my family and they ask me for movie reviews here and there. But, you know, riding a shuttle to a film screening, getting a bite to eat real quick where you when you could at the local Starbucks or whatever, everybody was either a film critic, part of a production team, part of a studio or had come to the festival and was paying money just to go see movies because they loved indie film. And it was just a really unique experience that I'd never had before. And it is a passion just kind of in the air yeah, that really was neat. Yeah, that's the, that's actually one of the things that to me makes Sundance particularly exciting is that everywhere you turn is like someone, some film critic or someone else like that. Like a lot of a lot of the other film festivals like Toronto, for example, it's a big city festival. So a lot of the other people just like regular people who are just there to see movies. But Sundance is like the pure film nerd fest of film people. And part of yeah. my joy is to catch up with all these people that I never usually see during the year. And also just to like geek out about movies. Like you just said, like this, like everything you see, you you either get out and you're like, well, look what we just saw. Or you get out and you're like, mm, that wasn't very good. And you kind of, you know, discuss it and, and, and chat about it. And But I mean, that's kind of what I was curious with you is that it's such a important festival in sort of cinema history is is what's your interpretation about and feeling about the like vibe of what it is there and i, I know you don't have so many years to, to reference in the past but um you know it's does it feel as iconic as it has been and sort of in the history of what it's supposed to be i i think that it probably did for me because it was my first one and so mm -hmm. there's you know that sense of discovery and uniqueness about it for me because it was I mean, I, I'm, this is not hyperbole. This is one of the best experiences of my life. I feel like oh, good. it's wow, something nice. that, I, you know, I've, I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like, this is something that you dream about. Mm. And I was there and I was able to do it. And, and it's so different than anything else. Uh, you know, like you said, you, you stand in line a lot or you're sitting there <laughs> yes. waiting for a screening to start a lot. So you're talking about those movies that you just saw and the sense of discovery from fellow critics or fans who are like, oh, I just walked out of blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, well, that wasn't on my radar. Crap. Now I got to yeah. find a way to sneak that one in. Um, I wasn't going to see Past Lives, which is one of the films we're going to talk about. Ah, but okay. the buzz from the premiere in person had me pivot my schedule mm. to make sure that I could get it in, which was a good play. But with regards to the, like the festival, I think it the one thing I noticed is I've always thought of Sundance as completely indie. As in, the movies there were not attached to any bigger studios yet. And this festival, there seems to be a lot of movies that had already acquired distribution before they came. Mm. And that was weird. So something like Infinity <laughs> Pool, which I didn't see, I, I don't care about it. Yeah. But like that was a big premiere at Sundance, but it was in theaters like six days later or something. and. 
that doesn't scream Sundance to me. Sundance is about discovery to me, and and I feel like maybe it's it's been a little the lines have been blurred there. Well, I mean, this year less so. I mean, I, sorry, this year had less of those big films than than in the past. There was a lot of discovery amongst the um, lineup, but in the years past, I've been there where like the premiere section is literally just big film after big film after big film, and like you said, it's kind of gets a little bit tiring because you're like everything's predetermined everything's set and as you're saying my favorite experiences were when i walk into something where i'm like i have no idea what i'm about to see i don't even know any of the people involved in this it's a tiny little film that doesn't have distribution um i i, I think my my joy from sundance before you know we'll get into the films right away after this is that you have like there is nothing to spoil what you're about to see there's no marketing there's no trailer there's no poster there's nothing i mean eight mountains is the exception because it is it premiered last year but going into these that allows you to have this fresh experience of you get to make what is the film you know it's literally sometimes and actually i would say most of them are literally fresh out of the editing suite just straight off Mm -hmm. of their computer like they finished it a week before you know the credits are just barely on there and they're like okay let's show it to people now and see what they make of it which i think scares the crap out of these filmmakers because they bring in these films and they're like, we have no idea how people are going to respond. But to me, that's exciting because yes, I can't love everything, but I'm going to try to engage with and discuss and sort of interact with the films and, and make something of them. And, and even if I don't like them, discuss them in a way that is kind of hopefully constructive in our criticism and hopefully beneficial to not only the filmmakers, but just sort of the, the, the cinema world in general. Oh yeah. Very well said. I, I agree. And the eight mountains, which we'll talk about is that movie for me. I mean, I, I went to see it purely because I read a blurb on a website. I all I, and I'll, I kid you not, I didn't know it was in Italian. I, all I read was the eight mountains. And I was like, oh, it's about mountains. Like I'm sold. And I went to this movie at like nine o'clock <laughs> on day two of the festival and was like, oh, this is two and a half hours long and in a foreign language. I might have made a mistake, <laughs> but because can I stay away? <laughs> no, no, and, you did it. But, you did it. <laughs> but I didn't, right? But like, I would have never done that at home. Yeah. I would have seen trailers or heard about something. And you're right. It is a, such an interesting position to be in. As a critic in Seattle, we always see things after New York and after LA. So mm. even when we're at the forefront of like a review cycle where we're publishing our reviews when the embargo lifts, the buzz has already happened online before we see something. So it's Mm. almost impossible to go into something purely cold, but at Sundance you can, Mm. and it's really neat to to do that. And And I encourage people to go to any local film festival and do the same thing. You know, the movies may not be as popular worldwide, but you can always have that experience with a film. And and that is special. So I like that. What what is? How many years have you been doing this? Because I know you're uh, a big festival guy. Yeah, this was my 17th Sundance. Since Goodness, 2007. Gracious, I've been going. Oh um, my gosh! <laughs> it's not. And no, I know people who've been going for like 25 years. So I'm 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 still working at it. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, any highlights from this one other than the movies that we're going to talk about? Oh yeah, I you you mean like other favorites from this year? Yeah, favorites or experiences, anything. Yeah, really? I well, these go hand in hand because the, I think two of the best audience experiences I had this year were uh, Fair Play, which is this Wall Street film about a woman who gets a big promotion and all the guys kind of hate her and, and turn into assholes around her. And that was like, I didn't even see it at the premiere. I saw it like the second screen in, in Park City. And the audience was just like went nuts for it. And and actually, the thing I've been telling people and reminding people is that the Sundance audiences are not as standing ovation and praiseworthy as like the Cannes audience. So when that happens, it's a genuine thing. And this was like instant standing ovation. And there was, I, I was standing in the back listening to the Q&A and there was a guy in the back just shouting like, bravo, bravo, which is like, this was like a, I felt the electricity in the air and the buzz and that was incredible. And um, the same thing with uh, Theater Camp, which I saw, it was my very last film of the festival. I saw it down in Salt Lake City with a crowd that was completely sold out. And same thing, everyone was just completely into it, laughing their heads off, like full on, just you can feel the, it's it's almost like that, that electricity is tangible because people are just in love with the film so much and having that experience. And that's what I love about Sundance is that it's it's like I, I, I do think the audiences are harsh. I've been to a couple of screens where there's just like a muted response or like it ends and there's a couple of people who clap, you know, and you're like, OK, not everyone is into it. But these two were <laughs> yes. like 
through the roof level of excellence and just everyone loving them and i i i those are the moments i enjoy the most because uh it affects me too it makes me love the movie even more it makes me feel completely into it and actually that's that's what we'll talk about with one of the films we're getting into today with the audience but i'll but i'll save it for when we get to it that's awesome. I can't remember if I met you at Fair Play. I might have. It was either Fair Play or Rylane. No, Rylane. Rylane, Rylane was that. Yeah, yeah. Rylane had a similar experience. The audience was yeah. so into it. And I just, yeah. that movie was elevated for me. I don't think I would have had quite the time that I had with it just watching it, sitting at home on my couch on Amazon Prime or Hulu, which is what's <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately. Which is, maybe which is a get... shame. I know. I'm like, put it's this a in. Shame. I know they're releasing it in the UK in theaters because it's a, it's a British film, but I'm like, I, yeah. I think with the right promotional campaign, it's not going to be a huge hit, but with the right campaign, they can get people to go see it in theaters and people would enjoy it. And, and that will make a difference and that will kind of build upon its success. Is people will talk about it and they'll say like, oh, we all had a great time in theaters and then more people will go. I don't know why they're I skipping hope so. that. Me, me too. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into these three specific movies we're going to talk about. Um, you are blessed because you are getting to talk about my two co-number ones and another one of my favorites so uh, this is probably the overall like (laughs) best collection of movies that i get to talk about on any single episode that i'm doing which i'm excited about so we're gonna start with the first one the eight mountains from slideshow releasing and janice films this was actually acquired out of con in 2022 a whole other thing maybe you can talk about that when you come up here because i'm curious how we go from being at Cannes or whatever in 2022 and then sundance nearly a year later anyway uh this movie stars luca marinelli alessandro borghi Filippi- uh, filippo timmy and elena lietti it is directed by felix van Groningen. i'm probably butchering that alex go ahead and you know, kill me for that. I know. No, no, uh, <laughs> no. It's, it's a tough name to get. <laughs> how is how is it pronounced? Uh, I don't know. They're 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 okay. Belgian. Oh. They're, they're Belgian filmmakers. Okay. That's the interesting thing. Okay, Felix Van Groningen and Charlotte Vandermeesh. Uh, it is written by the two of them and based on the book by Paolo Cognetti. It runs 147 minutes and it is in Italian, as I mentioned. What's it about? Set in Italy, this story is about a boy from the city visiting a tiny mountain village over the summer and the lifelong bond he forms with another young man living there. So Pietro and Bruno are two 12-year-old boys who meet merely by chance. Bruno is the one who lives in this alpine village of Grana and is the only child left after most of its inhabitants, including Bruno's father, have abandoned the mountain life for more lucrative work near larger towns. Pietro is on a summer getaway with his mother. They leave his father and their usual bustling lives behind in the city. And perhaps out of necessity, and perhaps because these are truly just two souls that are meant to discover one another, the two young boys instantly connect and set off on adventures in the countryside together. They grow closer and closer as summer visits pass, and eventually everything changes. Over the course of this two and a half hours, the directors, accompanied by one of the most perfectly fitting soundtracks that I've ever heard from Daniel Norgren, tell a really moving story about the lives of these two men. We watch their individual struggles with their fathers and their legacy. We see their romantic relationships. We see them chase dreams. We see success and failure. We see both the bigness and the smallness of their lives. And then most of all, we see how their worlds remain inseparable ever since that initial summer meeting. Being set in the mountains makes this instantly a visual stunning feature too, with some of the most beautiful photography that you will ever see in a narrative film. The valleys, the lakes, the waterfalls, and of course the snowy peaks. The immensity of it all mixed with the simplicity and the peace that it can bring are really explored to both a heartbreaking and a heartwarming effect. It is rare that I watch such a lengthy drama and come away feeling like I could have spent longer in its world, but that was the case with the eight mountains. I didn't want it to end. The characters are so rich. The environments are so soothing and awe-inspiring 
I'm not sure if those without a love for the outdoors will come away quite as spellbound as those of us that are mesmerized by what some of the Earth's highest places have to offer are, but I, I find it difficult to think that anyone could get to know Bruno and Pietro as deeply as we are able to do in this film and not find themselves responding emotionally to this very tender yet painful true story of a loving male friendship, which is something that I desperately think cinema needs more of. So Alex, I know you were a big fan of this as well. Um, what really hit the spot for you in it? Well, first things I want to say, this was a really beautiful introduction. I was very moved by your uh, explanation. Well, thank you. <laughs> and also, the other thing I want to say is that as much as it sounds like you're exaggerating by saying things like this is some of the best mountain cinematography ever, I, <laughs> right. I, I com no, I, no, I completely agree with you. Actually, when I saw it, and, I, and, you know, as people who literally a year ago talked about a mountain movie and talk about mountain movies, I mean, aside from um, Nims and, and his film being spectacularly shot, this was like, I was like, I, I can't believe they did this i and i and i think that's where i'll start answering your question is this cinematography in the in compared to some you know there was this everest movie i think five or six years ago and it was clear they just shot it somewhere and did some blue screen cgi crap but this was they obviously went into the mountains to get every shot and i i was in awe. i mean I, you know first things first my my thought was how do they get the budget how do they get the right crew necessary to hike up and get these shots and how did they know how to pull off the right emotional depth of each shot to add to the narrative of what we're seeing because it's just so so beautiful and so connected to who they are the mountains are a deep and important part of what's of the human story in this film, in addition to the fact that it is this emotional story about two friends who, as in your intro, seem to be by fate connected and by fate, you know, connected forever, which is a fascinating part about it. But also that's the beauty of it. And that's the beauty of their story contrasted with the mountains they reside in. And, and, and I think there's something about from the very start, the fact that they grow up in the mountains, which is something that I experienced as someone who, you know, grew up in the shadow of the mountains in Colorado. I very much felt that connection throughout my whole life. And in this film starts out that way. You like, you see them growing up in the mountains and I'm like, I know it, I get it. I felt it myself. I know that they will never be able to leave them. And that's actually a lot of the, the the turbulence throughout the film comes from their inability to disconnect from the mountains. You know, that my some of my favorite moments are when they try to go down to the city and they're both just like, ugh, the city. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> I can't stand it here. It's so bad. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. And, you know, it's hard for them because this isn't really spoiler, but to when they really get into it and into the story, you, you, you really sense that they have to be in mountains. But at the same time, there's not a lot of money there's not a lot of work to do up there you know they dedicate a good half of this film in the middle chunk to this construction of this home in the mountains which is lovely but at the same time and he even discuss it discusses it at one point he's like you know just take a few months off and and just spend your summer up here and do it for free basically and you know you are the laborer doing it for free but this is what becomes so fulfilling about their journey is that that there is something in that magic of of being there and by hand yourself constructing this mountain home and then once they build it it then becomes something else as each continue on in their lives and and go on and so forth and one of the other things that i was going to uh, bring up to you today is actually what you told me when we met in the Riley lane screening which was uh how fascinating the eight mountains concept is and what it actually means when they explain it in relation to the story and what's going on and they like yeah. you're, you're you're kind of sold on oh is it's a movie about eight mountains well what are those eight mountains and then there aren't really eight mountains but then there is that moment at the end where he explains the concept of the eight mountains and i'm like oh this is really nice and i get it it just and i i think this is what we talked about briefly i was like i wish there was a different title but at the same time i don't know what else to call it <laughs> And I don't know what would be another yeah. way to to because I want people to see this and I want them to get into it, but I also can't. It's a really hard sell if if as you said in the intro, you're not exactly a big outdoor mountain lover like we are. Then what is the best hook I can give someone other than saying it's this really tender and um like really deeply honest story about these two guys and what they go through? Very much deals with their struggles and their depression and their loneliness and also their mm -hmm. connection. 
and you know how the mountains both provide peace and soothe them but also provide the difficulties and struggles which is defined early on in this moment when they go hiking with their uh with uh as pietro's father i guess and they they kind of reach that point where he can't go on you know and he's like what do i do and i think that represents both the challenge of the mountains but also the allure of the mountains like he couldn't go on but he has to he has to find out how to go on and that and i I think the the core of what the film really is is also the difference between each of their lives and that is what the eight mountains concept is is that one of them pursues that one mountain and stays on that one mountain while pietro continues around the eight mountains and how their lives differ despite their connections and i think that's that was so soulful to me to watch It's it's almost like makes you wonder what path are you on in life after viewing this where where are you going where are you headed and what are you considering as a mountain lover where's your path taking you and what do you want to do with your life and can you maintain it can you continue down that path and stay happy and stay driven and passionate i guess oh absolutely that's definitely a reflective movie for me as well and I like the title, even knowing with that now that, you know, it it does work in the end and is really a great moment when he explains it. It's like, oh, that, oh, and that's really interesting. And I think it is a decent enough sell for it. Do you happen to know what time period this is set in? Would you say early 1900s? No, I wouldn't go that that far, but I would. Yeah, somewhere around, I think, because of course, when they started as kids, it's got to be 60s, 70s. Because they by oh, the okay. end they're what they're what like by the end I felt like it was pretty close to modern times. Pretty but modern. He's, he's forty okay. at that point, so he's you know if you if you okay. go based on the actor's real age, I think he's like in his forties. So I, I but I but to your point, they never really try to connect it specifically with the time. Like they don't discuss they you don't. Know, World War Two or mm-hmm. anything like that. Nope. But at the same time. There is obviously a sense of passing time with their growth as they get older, but also a sense of there, there's not like technology creeping in and, and, you know, tourism creeping into the Dolomites where they are. There's more like, I guess it's the Alps. I'm not sure. There, Yeah, it's 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 not. I, and I, I think I don't know if I guess I would like to ask the filmmakers if it's meant to be timeless or if they just didn't want to have the setting kind of bother the story in a way. Well, I really appreciate that it is that way. I, yes, I think it is too. timeless for that reason. and I And I also think it is challenging for that reason because you know we can i'm sitting here you know in seattle i I can look out my window and i can see peaks that are close Mm. enough to me i'm gonna go skiing in a couple weeks right it's just an hour away so i'm kind of somewhat surrounded by this but i'm sitting here in my technological hole of a a house full of electronics Mm. and internet and stuff and this is a movie where you really these people they don't Like they just don't, you mentioned they don't have an income for large periods of time. And one of them like truly just lives off the land and hopefully selling the cheese that he makes from his cows. Which I I really wanted to try. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds great. (laughs) Uh, The actual cheese or making it? I wanted to try the cheese. cheese. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I I did too. Absolutely. (laughs) Homegrown mountain cheese for this game. I want to try this. (laughs) And it's, it's so like relaxing to watch but i don't know that any of us could live that way you know bruno they they finish working for the day and they they roll out and they just sit down and peer off onto the horizon and then they just eat bread and cheese and like drink a little bit of wine and that's their day and then they read a book at night you know and Mm. it's such a different type of lifestyle i think there's an appeal to that and i think it's something that those of us who may never achieve like living in that way could do with a little bit of occasionally trying it out. And I, that's where Pietro comes in is because he he continually comes back in this story to where Bruno is. And he gets a little bit of that, but he also takes his time to go out and see the world. And I feel much more connected to Pietro, but I understood Bruno and I, I yeah. really love that there's just not a lot of dialogue here. I mean, I'm not I'm trying not to undersell this, but we get so much character development, but this is not a talky movie. Yeah. It's not oh, just yeah. two dudes who are monologuing constantly. And I mean, I don't know that any movie ever about male friendship would be because <laughs> that's just not how males communicate. And this movie captures it so well. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in a lot of quiet actions and stuff. And I, I just love it. I, I really hope somehow this makes it into theaters 
not only because I want to see it again, but I really want other people to be able to witness this on a big screen because they're yeah, just, I'm sorry, but it's two and a half hours and it's slow and people are going to pick up their phones. They're going to get up and go make food and they're not going to resonate with it the way that the movie, you know, is intended to to have an effect on you because they're going to be distracted. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I'm to have seen it twice in the cinema at the first time was in Cannes at the very the original premiere and to your to your point at the beginning you were asking about how it makes it to Sundance I mean I would actually compliment Sundance in saying that they saw and thought this is a phenomenal film that we need to bring no matter the fact that it has premiered last year and I think part of it is just because it hasn't opened in the U.S. yet and it hasn't really played in the U.S. yet I saw it only in Europe here because it has a more European feel so I, I saw it again the second time in December in the, this Berlin Film Festival, um, not the Berlin Film Festival, but a festival in Berlin called 14 Films Around the World, where they kind of bring all these great films from the rest of the year to Berlin again. And I was like, it was playing again. And I'm like, I have to go see it in the cinema again. And actually, and I hope this happens to you, the second time around had a more deeper emotional impact on me. I cried more the second time feeling this. And, and it was also just kind of this this going through the motions of it again. Like, you know, going through the whole opening act with them as kids, which I've said this in all of my reviews. It's basically a live action version of Pixar's Luca, but set in the mountains instead of on a mount, uh, sea town. That's and great. It's so beautifully done. <laughs> and then... You know, and then going through the motions of them growing up and, you know, disconnecting as friends, but then reconnecting as friends. And then also as someone who has done this journey myself, the moment he goes to the Himalayas and, you know, he he has that moment where he says, I need to get out of here and I need to leave these mountains. I need to leave Italy. And I like it, the first time I was watching in Canada, I was like, don't tell me he's going to go to the Himalayas. He has to go to the Himalayas. As a mountain lover, you have to go to the Himalayas. That's the next place you go. And then he shows up in Nepal and I was like, oh, and so the second time around, I just was crying and then seeing like I that's me I did that too and did what he did and I connected with it so deeply and my other thing to compliment because I am I'm forever moved by it is the use of these Daniel Norgren songs which this guy's like a Swedish singer songwriter and I had never heard of him before and and I said this it's some of the best and you, you complimented it already in your intro but some of the best use of music that it's existing music too that I've heard since Call Me By Your Name's use of uh, the Sutton Steven songs. And every time those songs came in, actually, the second time around in my screening here in Berlin, I was sitting next to some guy, some random guy, and he would sing full volume when these songs came in. And at oh first, I was like, yeah, at first I was like annoyed, like, ugh. And then I was like, you know what? I love these songs too. And he he knows them obviously because they uh, most of them he, I guess he I guess he wrote a few of them for the film but most of them have existed in his previous albums so I'm like if he knows these tracks and just wants to sing with them go for it and it actually kind of like the more he did it I was kind of like okay and it kind of like added this ambiance to it where I was like we're all in it together and those tracks when they come up now when I hear them because I've downloaded the albums now I'm like when I hear them they just like give me the chills and just make make me feel like I'm back in that world and it's funny because you would you know maybe this is his his roots but you wouldn't think that this guy's voice in these songs would make you feel like you're in the mountains but now I can't disconnect that from it and it pulls me back there and makes me feel like I am in that world again and and dang it I need to go to these mountains in Italy and like experience them myself and my, my favorite shots are when they go down to this lake where they like sit oh, at the yes. lake and it's and it, there's just like this one where it just sort of pans down to them and I'm like <gasps> It's, it's, it's breathtaking in the way where, yes, that's how you'd feel if you were really there, but also to capture that on camera where you, you, you as a viewer have your breath taken by the shot is not as easy as you think and they do it. And then you see them there and they sit there and you're like, you're in there with that, with them at that moment, just sort of breathing the mountain air and, and, and ah, it's all just so beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to end it. Let that be the end of it. Cause you're right. It is just so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, I adore it. Next up is Past Lives from A24. This stars Greta Lee, Teo Yu, and Jarn Magaro. It is written and directed by Celine Song, one of many directorial debuts at the festival. It runs 106 minutes, and it is in English and Korean languages, mostly Korean, I would say. What's it about? Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are rest apart after Nora's family immigrates from South Korea. 
20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. This is an achingly emotional Korean relationship drama about fate, pursuing dreams, regrets, and finding happiness where you are. I don't want to say it's a one-for-one comparison, but it definitely makes me feel a lot like Your Name did from Makoto Shinkai, the animated film that I love so much. Uh, The story follows Na Young, played by Greta Lee, and we meet her as a young girl on the verge of immigrating with her filmmaker father uh, to America. That's an ongoing thing I've noticed at some of the films I watched in Sundance as well is movies where characters are into filmmaking or film fans. My goodness gracious, it is. I feel like every other movie has one of those characters in it. Na Young has a crush on a local boy, Hai Sung, played by Yu Tio, and they manage to spend some meaningful time together before she's gone. There's one particular really adorable childhood, I'll put in air quotations, date that they go on with their parents, their mothers uh, in tow, that is just very reminiscent of what we all probably experienced at that age. From there, the story jumps forward two different times. Once, 12 years later, where Na, who is now going by the name Nora Moon in America, and Hai Soong reconnect via Skype and social media. And then another 12 years down the road when Nora is now married to a fellow artist named Arthur, played by John McGarrow. The delicate handling of Nora's relationships and I think the feelings for these two men, as well as their feelings towards her and her new husband's feelings toward Hai Sung, her childhood friend, really allow for the audience to sink into this challenging dynamic. I myself was extremely connected to this, simply being a person who is in a very strong friendship with my now ex-wife's new husband. I felt many of these scenes were really well crafted to capture what it's like in that sort of relationship where it's not necessarily adversarial, like most films would have you believe, but there's an understanding of the importance of both people in this woman's life. Uh, It's a stunning debut from director and writer Celine Song. It's very slow. It is very quiet, but I think that it's very deeply complex as well. And it investigates these emotional ties without defaulting to the typical Hollywood formula of showing a bunch of sex to indicate love. It does so with words and with actions and facial expressions and body language, which I much prefer. It is driven by three exceptionally patient and nuanced performances, and along with The Eight Mountains, I think that this is the narrative film that really made me feel the most at Sundance this year. I cried. I was swept away by it. I thought about it for, you know, days after seeing it. Um, It's one that really does stick with you, and I'm so glad that, as I mentioned earlier, I took the opportunity to kind of change my schedule up and go see this one, which I originally wasn't going to do. So, Alex, I got to ask, were you like me? Did you hear about the buzz from this one and then go see it? Or were you kind of already keyed into seeing this one at the world premiere from the start? Well, both, actually, (laughs) Uh, because I had heard I had a friend who had seen it and was telling me he had seen it at the test screening the the year before. And he was like, you have to see this. I mean, he didn't really you know, tell me anything else about it other than like it's about this this Korean woman reconnecting. And so based on that buzz, I was like, I'm going to go see it without really knowing more about it, except knowing that it's great. And, um, you know, that's not to say that it influenced me in that it is great, because like you just said, in, in once again, a very lovely introduction. Yes, it really gets to you. And it's really this like beautiful core of emotions that I think I think very clearly based around her own honest personal experiences. I think that's what makes a lot of the film work. But also I, I appreciated the awkwardness of 
what happens later in the second half when when they try to reconnect and and bring i mean it's funny that you say that you have those own experiences in your life because i was thinking the whole time i'm like i don't want to meet anyone's exes i don't want to go through that i don't want to like have that extremely uncomfortable oh you used to date and be into this guy moment but of course that's part of what they needed to address in it and i I like how she puts it in there. I do think the framework, it's hard to say this until people see it because they'll understand it better, but the framework of opening it with that shot of them in the in the restaurant and the, um, <laughs> I guess it's, it's clear to say the white people commentary of what's going on with this sort of two Asians yes. and another white guy thing, but also realizing where that commentary is coming from as in you don't truly know the real story of these three people but then you learn about it throughout the film and you and you pick up on everything that's going on and you also understand that this isn't really giving away anything but yes she deeply loves the korean guy but she isn't really right for him anymore and therefore i felt bad for her new guy but at the same time I'm like, I don't think she's gonna ditch him, you know? And that was the biggest thing for me watching this was that question of what what is she gonna do? What decision is she gonna make? And and I mean, I think in her introduction in my screening, that was her point. She's like, this is a film about those decisions. And this is a film about um, not regrets, but sort of thinking about what decisions and choices you've made in your life that have led you to the point you've led you, you've reached. And I think a lot of relationships are based around that. A lot of relationships are like, um, I mean, even uh, the classic Umbrellas of Sherberg film is based around this idea of, well, the guy leaves and she has to move on and she has to find someone else. And guess what? She can't be with the guy from the past anymore. And that's how a lot of relationships work. You're going to move on and someone else is going to come into your life and you're going to spend time with them. I also was very much trying to um not in a harsh way but judge whether uh the new guy she meets in new york was really worthy of her you know because a lot of the first half is just such a you know cool and and meaningful connection between her and her original korean guy that you're like okay is she gonna still feel the same about this this new guy or is he just gonna be this kind of schlocky well he you know and when she was in university that's what i was really worried about she's just gonna like hook up with some guy and i was like ah he's not gonna be a good guy but then you kind of see he actually really is a good guy and he really does love her too and that she i actually think one of the cores of this film too is the immigration experience that the experience of she says she migrated twice because she moved to canada and then she moved to New York City and you have to go through two immigration processes so she has to deal with that question of and I I don't think it's ever outright spoken but it's clearly in the film to me is losing her Korean identity and becoming a very Americanized American Asian woman in New York City and becoming Americanized not only with her name but just with who she is as a person. And she makes these comments later on when, when he comes to New York to visit her about how he's like the Korean Korean which I'm like I know in the wrong film, someone could probably say that's racist, but I'm like, the way she makes it, she's right. She's 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 actually directly addressing that there is a different feel between how someone evolves and grows when they immigrate and they leave their country behind and how they change and how he doesn't change. And yes, he still loves, uh, yes, she still loves him, but at the same time, they're not really able to connect anymore because they've become completely different in their cultures. But I love the whole segment where they connect in New York again. And the point, I think I didn't, feel the emotions until the last few scenes and i think that's where the film really comes together in those last two or three scenes that's when i started to tear up that's when i was like oh man this is a this is just this is a wonderful film she she really makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside and doesn't make you feel like she betrayed either of them and she makes you feel like you've been able to appreciate where you are in your life and that we don't have to throw away this love that we've had either for someone in the past or for someone we have now and in those two scenes i was just like ah i finally let it out and finally was like mm-hmm. well, okay okay and i i'm with you that just this, this is one of the best of the festival i'm glad they showed it i think it was a last minute edition and i'm just glad they gave it a chance to shine because i also think this is a, this is her first film too celine song is that her name right and she's yeah. to, to see this as her first film i'm like wow okay you You've handled it all so well. As always, I know I'm a forward thinker. I'm like, what can you do now? What more can you show us? And what can you do as a filmmaker? Because this is clearly a competent and incredible and talented piece of art. So let's continue to celebrate you and and encourage more from her. But at the same time, make sure people see this film. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I think this is going to be one. It does have enough buzz that it will probably be a big hit this year. Yeah, I hope uh, so. And yeah, I mean, I could I could see this being the type of film that sneaks its way into a best picture race. Uh, hopefully, it will. Unlike the last Korean film that deserved to be in the Oscars race, hopefully this one will be. <laughs> Still salty. <laughs> Ouch! About you mean like after Yang or what? Uh, no, I'm salty about decision to leave. Uh, being oh, left out. okay, okay. Yes. Stupid decisions. Um, yes, but yeah, I, 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 I think you know there is a difference in love and being in love, in my opinion, mm. and and I think this film really shows that strongly. Like the bond that she has with this childhood friend who she reconnects with, the experiences that they've had together are nothing compared to the experiences she would have had with a husband going through the process of becoming married and, and living with him for all of these years. And I'm a big, 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 big believer that love is a choice and love is about action and not a feeling that we sometimes equate romantic feelings as love. And that love is when you make a decision every single day to do a certain thing or to, to treat a person a certain way. Mm. And I think that this movie captures that really well that you can love two people differently mm. and yeah. it, it works. Um, it, it, it can be hard uh, at times and it can, and that, you know, it shows that, but it, it also kind of lets you sit in that uncomfortable place of fate. And what if, what if she hadn't left, what would mm. their life have been like? And it does so without giving you the very typical, directorial way of like oh here let's show you a montage of what her life might have looked like if it had gone the other direction I, we don't True. need that you know what i mean like we can we can think about that and we can imagine that with people we've known in our own lives and it's much deeper uh, resonant that way i think so yeah. I, I loved it and i i too am very excited to see what she does next i don't think there's anything wrong with having that come out of, a, of one of these directorial debuts no i know it's it's just that i don't want people to think that i'm already moving on from this film it's like no 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 this hasn't been released yet this has only been at one festival like give it a chance to breathe <laughs> yeah. and be its own <laughs> yeah. beautiful because because like you said i want people to see this i want them to experience it i want and i i'm, I'm sure they will I, and i i i just hope it gets the i mean it's what an a24 release i think Yep. So it, it'll have this this nice campaign behind it, and and it's I think it's playing at the Berlin Film Festival next, and I think I'm gonna go see it again and sit with it again, and also look forward to what the audience here has to say about it and and how they feel about it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, our third film is a documentary this is the deepest breath which has been picked up or produced by netflix it actually was reading that it was worked on by netflix and a24 both kind of as a co-production along with a whole bunch of other studios it is directed by laura mcgann written by laura mcgann as well it runs 108 minutes what's it about a champion freediver and expert safety diver seemed destined for one another despite the different paths that they took to meet at the pinnacle of the freediving world. A look at the thrilling rewards and inescapable risks of chasing dreams through the depths of the ocean. So documentaries about athletes are a favorite of mine and also of Alex's, which is why I wanted to be able to talk with him about this one. Uh, the Deepest Breath explores the dangerous sport of freediving quite thoroughly, I think, using a retrospective approach. It follows the life and careers of Stephen, this respected Irish safety diver, and Alessia, an Italian on a mission to become world champion, through interviews with their friends, their families, the freediving community, a wealth of archival footage and old news reports. The documentary is beautifully scored by Nainita Desai. It has exceptional editing. It's got captivating underwater cinematography, especially of the actual dives when they're taking place in some of the more deadly and deeper locations on the planet. And it's quite emotionally moving. It really was an engrossing presentation for me, but the story is told with an air of tragedy looming over it in order to make it more suspenseful as to maybe something will happen, maybe something won't. 
And I, I wish it had just gone much deeper on the psychology of its subjects instead. I'm not going to spoil what the reasons for this method of storytelling are in case you don't want to look up the true story first. So, But I can understand why they might have chosen to go this route. It's just that when they don't have any direct on-camera interviews of a primary subject and only let us learn about them through the words of others and that archival footage, it just kept me at more of a distance than something like Free Solo or Facing Monsters has done. The kind of examination where we truly walk with an athlete each step of the way and hear their own explanation in their own words for what motivates them and what drives them to put their life on the line for this sport. It's still a wonderful introduction though. And I didn't even know that free diving existed until now. It's definitely a sport that I have zero interest in trying, but I greatly enjoyed getting to know the two very special people at the center of this particular story as well. Alex, I've been curious. I've been wanting to chat with someone about this because I don't know if you picked up on that difference that I am trying to articulate of how watching someone's story told by someone else feels different than watching someone tell you their story directly. And did you have any reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I, it's, it's hard to not discuss the spoilers because that's a, that's a key to it. But um, yeah, I, I understood it by the end and you, you, you know, you make the most of it. Um, but I also think the fact that it's played against Alessia's story is why you, I mean, you pretty clearly understand because almost everyone in the film, aside from, you know, their parents is a free diver and they kind of explain their interest in it. So you're like, Oh, I get it. And the, it goes over his story early on his, um, I actually thought it was really nice that, that the, the filmmakers include, it's a woman, I think an Irish woman. I'm, I'm really glad that she included his story about going to Africa because I thought that was a really good explanation as to his life, his desire to live a life unlike anyone else. A lot like Eight Mountains. Like, he was going to live a life where he's like, I'm going to do my own things. I'm going to go out and literally go to the Congo and Africa and do these things because I don't want the conventional life. I want to live the life out in the wild. And I appreciated that context to understanding him that we can get through that part of his story without hearing it from him directly. And I... I uh, actually, it's funny you, you you say you didn't know about freediving, so I'm going to recommend a film to you. Luc Besson directed a film in 1988 called The Big Blue, and it has okay. um, Jean Reno in it as a freediver. And it's about it's, – it's actually very similar to this film because it's about two freedivers and one of them being – risking his life and, you know, doing these things where you're like, wow, okay. And so it's a, it's a film about freediving friends, which is very much similar to this one. And actually, you can compare and contrast – the free di uh, free diving techniques, at least as they displayed it in the film in 1988, and what they have now in in Luc Besson's film, they have this thing where as soon as you reach the bottom and you grab the tag, uh, they connect to this like mechanism that automatically pulls them to the top. It's like an airbag that sends them to the top. In this film, that has been in, I want to say removed, but it clearly to me, it meant that they thought, and, and it's, it's, it's obvious when they get to the judges at the top and the judge, the judge says you're, you're approved with your dive or not. It meant that returning to the surface safely and returning to the surface on your own swimming ability is an important part of the free diving process. And yes. I found that really incredible to see because you're like, this isn't just people holding their breath. This is a massive, extreme sport thing. And yes, Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, not in a bad way, but unfortunately, in, in what the film shows, it is an extremely dangerous sport. And therefore, these people are putting themselves at risk in a way you would think, you know, what this is what interests you in these films is you're like, why? Why would they do this? And why would they put themselves mm -hmm. at risk for, for something as simple as like diving down and grabbing a tag and coming back up? But Alessia's story is clearly all about pursuit of champion you know p to be the champion to be the number one in the world to be the best at it and that's her goal and so she's less into it from the nature standpoint as she is from the uh skill standpoint whereas he's more into it from the lifestyle beauty of it standpoint which is a nice contrast for them in terms of eventually being partners and uh, I said it, that this film was this year's fire of love and that it's they're, they're not really a couple throughout most of the film. I mean, 
it was pretty clear they would be. <laughs> very much starts yeah. with them being like, oh, I think it was actually when the when the filmmaker introduced it in my screening, she was like, oh, thank you to Alessia and Steve. And I was like, so they're a couple. Okay, I get it. Like, you know, and I was like, okay. So uh, it is about them, but, but you know, it, it takes a while to get to that point. But at the same time, their stories played parallel throughout the film clearly shows that they're going to be faithfully connected one day. And yeah, I, uh, the, the other important thing to me for my screening and it, so did you see the press screening? You saw it in the theaters, right? No, I missed. Uh, I, I wish I had, I think I would, okay. I wanted to because of, you know, the visual aspect of the underwater photography, especially, but you know how it is in Sundance, like you're playing Tetris with your schedule. Yes. If you have yes. to wait in lines and it's, it just, I couldn't make it. So, okay. I saw it at the world premiere at the library cinema. And um, okay. my, my favorite thing about this is I had absolutely no idea what I was getting to. I, I, I literally sat down to my screen and I should have texted this to you because I was like, man, a free diving movie? How can this work for 90 minutes? What am I going to watch? You know, it's like thinking, what is this going to be? And then the lights go down. And this is the this is why I was going to mention this when we started. I, I, there's something special about the screenings. There were like two industry bros sitting behind me. I think they were like agents or something like this. You know, and they're, they're chit-chatting during the beginning. And then the lights go down. And the whole film, I can just hear them being like, oh, oh my God. Like gasping and having these visceral, <laughs> like, and I was like, man, Man, this film even got the industry bros like it got them and it swept them away and someone wrote a tweet about this as they were like the whole collective anxiety of everyone sitting in this cinema watching this experience was palpable in the way that like it's funny to say this and i would love to be quoted on the poster because it's exactly true is that we were holding our breath when the people in the film were holding our breath you know we were oh, yeah. all swept away in that like awe and just sheer oh my goodness fear of how are they going to do this and how they can pull this off and yes like you said the the footage of them underwater diving it said at the beginning some of them were recreation shots which i just it's fine with me but the fact that you feel the complete effort of them going down except for a couple of them where they kind of like just stay on the surface and you're like where did she go is she gonna make it back those moments were just as harrowing as anything else in it and i sat down and watched this film in the whole time i'm just like literally gripping my seat with just this is incredible it ended up being one of my favorite of the fest and i i am just in awe of everything this film does because i don't want to say i was you know influenced by this but the introduction by the sundance programmer is he said he he like you and i is a huge fan of extreme sport films and documentaries and and stories about people who do these things and he's like this film is on a whole other level it's more remarkable than any other kind of film he's seen about free divers and he's like i've seen all the free diving films and this one is so much more incredible to watch and I, and that got into my mind a little bit and i was watching it i'm like he's right He's totally right. There is something about this that makes it different. And I actually, the, the reason I'm kind of nervous to talk to you about it is I've read some negative reviews of it. And I was very curious if it's just, you know, I was in the moment, I was in the premiere and I was feeling it and also watching it on this giant screen in front of me made a difference. And some of the negative reviews I, 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 I saw were like, oh, this film is just boring and the structure sucks. And I was like, what? what? I, <laughs> Wait, yeah, what? I was like, boring. I know. I know. I was like, I could not disagree more. I was so, I was like literally on edge the whole film. And I think it's because of what you were kind of talking about. Not to say that you didn't like it, but what you were saying where it's kind of a story where, and not that you know what happens, but it's just this like, hey, it's about these two people who just do their thing. And if you're not caught up in it, and if you're not fully invested in who they are and watching what they're going through and understanding their kind of passion for what they're doing, I think you can find yourself disconnected from it. I think you can say, eh, it doesn't connect with me. But for, for my view and experience, I was just absolutely, I know it's it's a big thing to say, blown away, but I was like as close to blown away as anyone could be with this film. And I, I say that in that, that's what I love about a film mm -hmm. where I, I did not expect that going into it. Literally moments before it started, I thought, this is not going to be good. And by the end, I was like, you know, applauding with everyone else as loudly as I could and completely just, you know, I was like, I want to talk about it. I was wiping away tears like, man, this film, deepest breath. And, you know, and it was like going around other people at the festival being like, have you heard of this film? I have to tell you about it. <laughs> it was a good it yeah. was a experience, really. That's awesome. Very few people saw this one, I think, as well, yeah. which is unfortunate. No, I, it's not. When I criticize it, I am criticizing it only in terms of comparing to what I consider like the pinnacle pinnacle of mm. the type of genre. Yeah, so of course. I, I loved it still. I and again, I it's without spoiling it. It's 
almost impossible probably for them to do it the way that I wanted it to be done for for reasons. But the way that it is done, I think, does have a great emotional resonance to it. And specifically just with using Alessia and Steven, you mentioned this, you know, you're you're going on these two separate perspectives of the same sport. One, And that is very rare. You know, usually it's just an athlete doing a thing. Like if it's a surfer or a climber, it's just one person doing a thing. But in this w- specific, you know, activity, the safety diver's role is different because like the diver herself, like Alessia dives down, she has to find a tag. There is a point where she goes bl- deeper than the safety diver can go because he needs to maintain enough air so that he can then bring her up. And one of the things that's fascinating about this sport that I was learning is I kept wanting to scream at the screen in the beginning. I was like, why safety diver? Are you not just wearing scuba gear? Like, why are you having to hold your breath too? What's the purpose of this? Well, they explain it. And it's fascinating because if you are wearing scuba and you are taking in oxygen from an oxygen tank, you can't give breath mouth to mouth to a diver who is in need, right? And that that was kind of the main reason. So his job is to then kind of wait for her to come back up or whoever and coax them up to the, the surface without helping them, but being right there. There's a staggering amount of footage of people, these divers getting to the surface. They pop their head above the water and their eyes roll back in the back of their head. They immediately go blue and they're like dying, in the moment dying. And it is... It's awful. Like I just don't understand sometimes what makes somebody want to do this. But, you know, the safety diver perspective was really cool to have because he wanted to nurture and help others achieve their goals. It wasn't about himself. And, you know, that is also shown, like you said, in his adventures. He was an adventurous person. And I love getting to know about people outside of their one activity that they're known for, like their big sport, because all of that informs who a person is and why they're attracted to what they do, quote, for a living. Um, but him, you know, traveling the world and going on these safaris and stuff, it was a really nice extra angle um, to his character and just getting to see the two of them contrasted within how they both participate in this sport was really, really interesting. Um, and I, and I, I'm glad that it's got picked up by Netflix. I think this is a perfect Netflix documentary, yeah. frankly. It is it's right on par with many Netflix documentaries we've seen over the last several years. And I think that people will really enjoy it when they get a chance to see it there later this year. Yeah, I agree. I I, I the one last thing I will mention is that I I found it really incredible when they discussed how Steve would track and manage and monitor everyone's individual dive as the head safety diver to know exact details about them to to even help them be better at their dives and i was like like they showed this shot of his he had like a whiteboard and had like information for every single person competing and i was like this is amazing this guy really truly cared about every single person and put his effort into not succeeding himself but making sure they succeeded he was like a genuine hero in a way that i think this film tries to convey like i really feel like the filmmaker said this guy's a hero the conversations that they that she has with his father where he's like i didn't know if he was living a good life was this kind of wink it he did he lived this amazing life of carrying people for people and alessia is the same thing like she 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 was driven to succeed but but also realized there was something more to it and i think I think this is where a filmmaker can take their stories and add something to it by the way she conveys it and how she edits it and how she puts it together. And that's what, to me, makes this film stand out more than just simply, here's the story of them. There's something in her narrative as a filmmaker that goes beyond who these people are themselves. And I really admire what she did with that. And I, I like like all three of the films we've talked about today, I just want people to see these. I just want them to watch them and be moved yeah. by them. And, you know, I think you're probably like me as a film lover, as someone who, who, who does this for a living and who, who spends every day of his life watching movies. My greatest goal for people is to not only see these films, but be deeply influenced and moved by them. Have something that you come out of them thinking about that changes you maybe not you know changes your life completely but at least makes you 
deeply consider something, make decisions, you know, and and that's what I want people to be affected by with these films. Um, and all three of them, I think, have that potential in really strong ways. You know, I don't know if Deepest Breath is going to make people come become free divers, but but at the very least, it could. <laughs> It could get them to sort of think about the choices they make in life, in their life, in terms of both Steve and Alessia deciding that this is the life they're going to live and that they're not going to, you know, go to some typical office job they want. They're going to, you know, and of course it's beautiful that they go live on these beautiful beach resorts their whole life, but to, to make that decision that this is what they're going to dedicate their life to do towards and see it actually mean something beyond just living luxuriously is, I think, the power of the deepest breath. Yeah, I mean, there's somewhat of a connective thread, I guess, between all of them, because all three of these movies are really highlighting the idea of living your life without regret and doing it the way that you are happy and and making the most of it and and embracing your surroundings and not letting the the past or other other what the rest of the world might think is best for you affect you. And so um, there is something beautiful about that that we could all yes. take away from them. So yes, definitely. cool. Well, this has been great. I am so glad we got to talk about these. Uh, I, I was really excited for this uh, for a long time, waiting for us to get a chance to chat and great. Uh, bef- so thank you. But before we go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your work, where, what your website is all about, et cetera. Yeah. Um, as always, I'm available at firstshowing.net where I post my reviews and write a lot of updates on trailers and new films that are coming up. And as always, you can also find me on Twitter at First Showing and on Letterboxd at First Showing where I talk about everything I see all the time, which is an endless amount of films. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I will always and forever plug this as well, that firstshowing.net is the best place on the web to go for your upcoming film release date list alex maintains <laughs> it very well uh it's my go-to it's actually how i kind of discovered alex years ago is first showing became my like spot where if i needed sure. to check for release dates and plan out my podcasting schedule that was what i would use and so still to this day is the best out there i think so yeah follow alex and, and interact with him on social media as well that's it for this episode of our sundance coverage on ff plus Hopefully you've enjoyed and hopefully one of these films will resonate with you as well once you get a chance to see it. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.